Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to the podcast today. We're going to be looking back at Wednesday night's 0-0 draw against Brighton at the Cottage. And you may have heard, it's been a long time since there was a 0-0 draw in the league at Craven Cottage. And I'm joined today to look back at that and also ahead to Newcastle on Saturday with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler, Fulham writer of The Athletic. How are you doing, Peter? Very well, thanks, Sammy. How are we all doing? Good, thank you. So, bit of a unique situation today. So, myself and Jack are in a very fancy studio um, in Parsons Green, thanks to the guys at VoxPod who have just opened a studio. One of the people that works here is a Fulham fan, so invited us down to, to record an episode here. Myself and Jack are very far apart in, in this studio, but it's absolutely lovely. Peter, you're coming from home, but yeah, Jack, it's a, a lovely setup, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, really nice. I'm pleased to be back in the studio, and it's uh, and what a studio to be back in. It's really, really cosy. I'm having a good time. Yeah, we're, we're having a lovely time geeking out with uh, all the tech. Um, Peter is is on a screen to our side. <laughs> it is, it's so advanced for Fulhamish. It is actually a, li- a little bit um, painful, but uh, we move, we move. Um, Jack, let's do some three-word reviews from Wednesday night game uh, against Brighton yeah um, Swinsorian with slow sloppy snoozer was a was a good one <laughs> I like Lewis's Ruben return policy which I thought was maybe a tad harsh but um, but very very funny we have to whisper it quietly around these parts as well yeah exactly um, there were there were some strange ones Craven Cottage crossbar from Rick Cardis was a, was a nice one and then I think the one that the the probably the best pure powers seagulls you're constricted in terms of Bjarkim Anderson mm. Excellent. And uh, maybe, maybe the name of this pod, George Warren's Tier 3 Tedium. (laughs) Very nice. Well, um, Peter, I'll start with you. Your thoughts on um, the 0-0 draw against Brighton. And it was such a disappointment yesterday that after the kind of high of having fans at the cottage and, and that game against Liverpool... I guess there was always going to be a bump back down to earth. It wasn't a really severe bump because we managed to get a draw. We kept a clean sheet. But after the euphoria of Sunday and, and that immense point and uh, atmosphere against Liverpool, I imagine for you, for yourself at Craven Cottage, it, it must have been quite flat. Yeah, flat's the, definitely the best word. I don't think anyone missed out on anything in uh, football terms anyway. Um, I, yeah, I did feel the team missed, missed the fans. I, I, it's hard to obviously quantify that, you know, the impact and... From a psychological perspective, I mean, Fulham did start very well. They pressed Brighton quite quite well at the start of the game and uh, made it difficult. But, you know, the, without that sort of energy that, that came from the crowd on Sunday, you know, it really did make a difference. Um, it was only 2,000 in there against Liverpool, but you could feel it and it really did sort of seep into the into the players and, and up the intensity. But um Maybe it was always that that was always going to be expected. I mean, there's there's the tighter turnaround as well. I mean, uh, Scott Parker made I think just the one change um, with with Harrison Reed coming in. Um, so you've got the same players going again, and yeah, it was it was flat. I think well, there's two sides to it, isn't there? I think it's disappointing how Fulham played going forwards, uh, and then then the encouraging side is that Fulham have somehow come away with a not somehow have come away with a clean sheet. I don't think Brighton threatened too much during the game apart from that really concerted spell just after half time um, but yeah I'm massively missing the crowd really really, really would, have, would have helped just lift the game a little bit bring that energy that spark and and, um, and yeah maybe maybe Nick, Nick a win um, you know I, I've been thinking about the game I think immediately afterwards having seen the second half thinking okay Fulham have done well to get a point here I think on balance you know there were some good chances for Brighton but you know, coming away from it now and just thinking about how important that result might be, it's probably one that might have got away a little bit. Um, when you look at Burnley's fixtures and um, what, what, and Brighton's advantage as well, it's it it might be one that the Fulham might look back on and, and regret a little bit. But you know, you take a point rather than than mm. a, a point drop, and it keeps Brighton close by as well. Yeah, I think there's there's elements of it which you've got to be positive about, right? It's a clean sheet at the cottage, and and the defence looked assured I thought all game I was a little bit put out by by Scott's tactics it, not in the that they've changed massively from from what we've seen before but you know the 352 if you will 
kind of cancelled each other out, I think, in in many ways. And there wasn't many opportunities. And it seemed like the game where Fulham could push a little bit forward, maybe back into that four at the back, maybe get a player of Tom Kearney's mould into the side and, and get his foot on the ball and start to try and control the tempo, can dictate the game a little bit more. And and that's what I thought we were missing. And I don't know what the, the drill is with TC. He seems happy enough, you know, considering his comments to you the other week, Peter, and and his conversations with you and, and the fact that he's been talking to fans and all these different elements as, as captain. I think that he doesn't seem too put out. But at the same time, it seems strange to me that a game like yesterday where we lacked someone to, to really kind of try and put their foot on it and control the game in, in the opposition half and, and try and create chances. And especially because the fact that the two systems cancelled each other out so much and the wing backs cancelled each other out and we didn't see much of Bobby Decordiva-Reed getting forward. He was obviously replaced by Abubakar Kamara, you'd imagine, in what felt like an attacking change. And then Kamara basically played right wing back anyway, which basically... <laughs> rendered him somewhat mute, I would say, in, in in what he could bring. Given all of those factors, I was a little bit surprised that Scott didn't try and change the system and the shape a little bit more. Yeah, for me, I feel like Scott has to be massively praised for how brave he was, particularly in that Leicester game. He, he found that, that the system wasn't quite working, particularly against bigger teams, and he found a way to, to, to nullify oppositions, and it worked against Leicester, worked to a point against City, and really, really worked against Liverpool, but I would have loved it if he was a little bit braver last night, uh, and maybe decided to revert back to the formation that really works that time against West Brom. You know, we, we forget that we were was so effective in that game and even parts of the West Ham game as well we looked good in that and that's all with the old system with with four at the back and a bit more kind of traditional way that Scott Parker likes to play with that 4-2-3-1 uh, um, I was a bit surprised Peter that he didn't think, you know what, it's a different opposition today and I'm going to revert back even though I know that this formation has worked to a point against against much more impressive opposition no disrespect to Brighton yeah, that's, that's kind of what we were talking about before. I guess looking at the way Brighton play, you probably perceived them as, as a team that wanted to be more progressive and play on the front front foot a bit more and, and maybe having that more reserved approach, being a bit more defensively solid, you know, with with, with Bobby dropping deeper and um, then that might be more effective. But yeah, as you say, it was definitely a game that, that could have done with, especially in the first half at Tom Kearney. I felt Fulham... It was very scrappy. It was very bitty. There were a few loose touches and maybe that's down to, to fatigue a little bit. But there were just moments where Fulham would progress the ball quite nicely towards the final third and but always lacking that sort of final final pass. You know, I made a tweet in the first half about Cavallero, um, his touches and his movement. And, you know, I, I, he's obviously there's a mixed bag of opinion on him. But there were numerous times where he was making these runs that just weren't picked out. And I, I feel like you needed someone in those areas who could just just turn the lock, turn the key a little bit, bring bring more of, of Robinson into the game, bring more of Bobby Decadova Reed into the game, stretch the play a little bit just just by moving it in, in, in the right way. And but then in, in the second half, you you probably would think you could have done with Alexander Mitrovic a bit more. And um because of how scrappy it got and how direct it became, it just it just felt like it, the ball would go long and it just wouldn't stick. Um and you know Mitrovic was on for what about 15, 10, 15 minutes and yeah, he, he did right. have an impact. He, he uh, obviously set up that chance for for Lookman. Um, but yeah, in terms of setup, I, I, I think I think it must have been partly to do with caution um, and just knowing what Brighton can offer. But as you say, you know, Fulham have shown in, in the games like West Brom and, and West Ham that they can play very very well. They can dominate the ball for long periods. Um, and maybe maybe in hindsight, I think. Having a care, having Kenny in there. I mean, as, as Jack was saying, I don't, I don't see. I was asked about this as well whether there's an, an issue there with with Kenny, and I'm sure he's not going to be happy to be out of the team. No player would be. Um, but just in terms of body language and what you can read from that, it, it doesn't seem to be someone who's unhappy. And the same actually goes for for Mitrovic as well. Um, but yeah, it, for, the, for that game, I, I definitely think it could have done with him. I mean, Jack, there's a thing with Mitrovic being out at the moment and a lot of our debate has centred around that, but you can kind of see the tactical sense of why Mitrovic is missing out. Last night, though, I couldn't see what Loftus-Cheek was bringing to this team that TC couldn't have. And I guess the, the big moment in the match for, for Loftus-Cheek was when he did actually quite well to almost put himself 
through on goal, he, he outmuscled the, the Brighton defender, but then he was running towards the goal and looked so unconfident and so slow. And that finish really was pretty tame, especially as Sanchez had pretty much already dived. He could have passed it into the corner and it probably would have made it. And I looked at that situation and I thought, I'd have rather TC that right there. Would you though? Because does TC create that chance? I can't see TC. No, there's, you know, there's the explosivity there's, yeah. and the, and the muscle to get through the original point. I, I don't think Tom Kenny does that. He's a, they're very different players. You know, I don't think that it's a a like for like swap. And and that's not to say that TC wouldn't have carved out various other opportunities for himself and for others in in a different way. But I don't think in that situation TC no. gets to that chance I don't think he suddenly moving aside moving aside from that specific chance though I, I looked at a lot of what Loftus-Cheek yesterday did and I just felt like TC could have offered a lot lot more yeah I think what what Scott's trying to do is offer that little bit of respite you know that the Loftus-Cheek isn't is not the fastest player in the world but he's quicker than Mitrovic and he's probably quicker than TC in in terms of what he brings especially on the ball and and he does have that kind of physical capability to, to hold a player off and, and reset and I imagine that's what he's trying to bring to the side. What he's trying to do is allow Fulham that out ball that you know, gives everybody a breather, gives everybody a bit of a respite and allows the team to work their way up the pitch in a way that perhaps we don't get with other players you know obviously Mitrovic has that ability to make it stick as well but it's a little bit different in terms of Loftus-Cheek tends to peel off as you said yesterday and and find the channel a little bit more and, and that's what he's been looking to do so I can understand what Scott's getting at what I'm a little bit worried about is is an accusation I used to throw at Oli Skarnasolsha quite a lot and and is that I'm worried that Scott deserves all the praise in the world. Don't get me wrong for for working out the system, for being brave enough to drop those players. But what Oli Gunnar Solskjaer used to do was just change things around until he found something that worked and then stick with it until it didn't work anymore. Mm. And I'm a little bit concerned that that's what we've got to. It's like, oh, this worked. Let's stay with that until we have to change something. And I, I think it's a brilliant thing to have that different option, to have that reactive system, to have the ability to counter. But we also have to look at games where we think, okay, we probably don't need to play on the counter against Brighton at home. Yeah. You know, we, we need to probably look to dictate the game a bit more. And look, Brighton are a good side. They're a better side than perhaps their position in the table belies. And they've, you know, a point against them is is no mean feat and it's no it's nothing to be ashamed of. But I do think that with the game and the balance the way it was to be able to change things up and be able to shift the the kind of momentum towards Fulham. We, we've criticised Scott for this in the past, not for, for being a bit passive when there was active changes to be made. And mm. while his changes pre-game and obviously in making these decisions have been big changes, his, his changes mid-game still tend to be quite passive. They tend to be like-for-likes. They tend to be situations that allow Fulham to just replace the player's energy rather than, you know, the way he's managing Reed and Lamina, I think is excellent. Yeah. You know, it's 60 minutes switch, 60 minutes, bring them in, keep them both happy, keep them both uh, available for, for the games and keep all that working nicely in the middle, mm. fine. But when there's a game like yesterday where everything's in the, in the kind of mix and you want something to change, there was no real attempt to change the stylistic nature of it. And I think that is a little bit of a worry. You either kind of get all or nothing, don't yeah. you? You either yeah, get yeah. kind of just really kind of passive like for like changes or he decides to six stick seven up top because we're losing one nil with 10 minutes to go or as we saw famously against QPR last season where every player on the pitch um, I think was it all of them? Part Tim Ream I think oh no it was part from Josh Onoma was a defense was a defensive oh, right, player yeah, yeah. or a defender um, going into the final minutes of the match which was, which was also kind of ludicrous tactics that did kind of work I mean Peter moving forward Newcastle on Saturday is definitely another winnable game a difficult night for them last night against Leeds they're so Jekyll and Hyde you don't know if they're going to lose 5-2 or put in quite an impressive performance like they did against West Brom on Saturday and their record in the league kind of says that five wins two draws five defeats um, but but surely uh, Fulham can potentially go into that Newcastle game you know, full of hope there's no reason why we can't go up there and get a result against a team that blows hot and does blow cold yeah I think just going back to Jack's point about setup, I think for Newcastle, I, more so than Brighton, it's a game where Fulham probably will need to be a bit more front foot, and we may see that reversion. I just don't. I don't think you can play the way Fulham have played in the last few games at Newcastle because of how deep they sit and how reluctant they are to press. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, Steve Bruce has collect, he's 
recruited quite well. You know, they've got some good Premier League players in there. They've picked up some good results. I think uh, Leeds really tore them apart last uh, last night. I haven't actually seen seen the highlights of, of the game. But you just need to see Jack Harrison's goal. That's the main <laughs> thing you need to see. It's outrageous. Yeah, it's a good hit. Um, um, but you, you look at the results that they've picked up as well. You know, they've they've beaten Palace. They've beaten West Brom. Um, you know, Leeds was obviously a, a difficult game for them, but and you consider also that the impact that COVID's had on them and having to close the training ground um, and then still being able to to bounce back and respond in the way that they have, you know, it won't be an easy an easy challenge. But I think in terms of setup, you, you want you're going to need someone who can unlock the door a little bit. And I, I sort of agree with what Jack was saying about um, the changes. I. The one thing for me, especially after half times, that Fulham just didn't come out quickly at all. There was there was no intensity. There was not the same tempo that that we've seen from 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 Fulham at the start of games. And, and Brighton probably should have scored in that period, but um, obviously they hit the bar and um, and had the goal ruled out from by uh, by VAR. Um, and I feel like that may have forced Parker's hand a little bit because just watching on, I felt like the change you've got to make is you've got to bring you do have to bring energy into the game and. Yeah, it's good to manage Reed and, and and Lamina in that way, but Lamina really is like uh, such a tenacious player. Like he has so much enthusiasm off the ball, flies into tackles, gets himself about, and it just needed that that just to make the game scrappy again, just to break it up a little bit. Uh, as much as you know, you want to get your foot on the ball, and I wonder then if if you know if you if Fulham start a bit more competently, uh, a bit with a bit more assuredness on the ball. With longer spells in in the Brighton half, then maybe you see a different change. Uh, obviously, I'm, yeah, I'm giving in a hypothetical there for sure. But um, but then on the flip side, of course, is that I also felt that they could have done with Mitrovic at this point um, after the break because Fulham needed an outlet. They needed someone to hold the ball up. They weren't getting the same joy with with Lookman bringing the ball clear and holding it in, in advanced areas. Um, and you know, you, you saw the impact he had when he did come on. So. Uh, I feel like sometimes with the game you, you can sort of switch with it. I think if you were, if there was, if there was more criticism for me, it would be the way the team was set up. And as Jack was saying, sticking to what you know and what what what's not what you know, what what's been before um, and done 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 well. Uh, it just didn't didn't really seem seem to seem to work in the same way. And credit to Brighton as well. I mean, you know, Brighton are a good team. You yeah. know, their, their expected goal values are really really good, and they they should have more points on the board than they do. But then at the same time, you can see why they don't because they don't take their chances. And um, there's always that sense there's a slight vulnerability there. And Fulham's chances were good. You know, the Lookman one was decent and the, the Loftus-Cheek one's a, it's a golden chance, really. Uh, it's one he should be putting away. And it seems like that's something that's unfamiliar to him. And I, I'm not really sure about his position, to be honest. I'm still not sure if this is the right position for him and whether he's comfortable in it. Um, there are moments where he gets on the ball and he just bursts, you know, there's, there's, he can drive past players and you just see it for a moment, these, these touches, these glimmers, but it's, it's so few and far between at the moment. And he, he is physical and he can win some aerial battles, but I, I just don't know if he, if he's that good in those advanced areas. And we do have to consider, of course, that he's still coming back from that long injury and he'll want to get a run of games. But at the same time, he's not making the impact on matches I think many of us probably expected when he came in. I like him driving from deep. Like that that's it. He those areas and those places where he's scored goals have come especially for Chelsea in terms of where he comes gets to the edge of the box, he turns up late, he you know or drives past a player and puts it in from the from the edge and and that's why I think that the chance like the the big chance yesterday was was quite painful to watch because we've seen him put the put Johans away from those kind of areas time and time again. And I don't know, I'm with you, Peter. I don't think that him playing as a kind of nine slash false nine, so whatever you want to call it, is perhaps the the place for him. I do think that he is a, an eight stroke 10 in terms of he likes playing with, you know, going towards goal rather than back to goal. And, and that's yeah. important because, you know, when we saw him against City in that unfamiliar back to goal position, he was really, really ineffective. And I thought last night it was similar things. Whereas against Liverpool, where he was driving from a bit deeper, and I don't think, you know, necessarily that's all to do with, with Scott. And I also don't think it's all to do with, with how Fulham play. You know, different opposition force you to play in different ways. And obviously the way that he was being kind of shuttled in in Liverpool game opened up things for him that he allowed him to kind of explode a little bit more from the middle, especially in that first half where I thought he was probably our best player. And and then you best go Best player? To... <sighs> In in terms of all round contribution, yeah, maybe. Okay. Um, you know, it's one of those things where 
he he kind of I thought linked everything nicely. He was able. He was he was kind of winning things in midfield and getting forward and pushing us back onto the front foot. Yes, there were obviously lots of excellent players for Fulham in that first half against Liverpool but in terms of what he brought as a kind of holistic sense to that attack I thought he linked everything up really nicely and then you kind of take that on to Brighton and suddenly he's anonymous and, and that was weird for me and look his style doesn't help he's quite languid his gait when he runs makes it look like he's not interested and I don't think that's actually his fault I just think that's the way he runs um, which which doesn't endear him to fans in a way that you know for someone like a Mario Lamina as Peter pointed out he looks like he's really busy so even if he's not doing the right things he looks like he's pelting around trying to win yeah. the ball in the right areas and people love that people like seeing you know, oh he works really hard for the team whereas the way that Loftus-Cheek carries himself doesn't doesn't do the same thing and I think that has a, a fallout on this I think that's part of part it, of the aspect it's, it's also not his fault that he is Ruben Loftus-Cheek and he came to Fulham as an ex-England international and a, and a top four player um, that has you know played consistently and just doesn't no, but I think we, if you do gave, that, you have to expect. You know, that, yeah. that's a level that he'll expect, and, and especially given the amount of, uh, and also again, not his fault, but the amount of chat on on social media and on these things about how much Ruben Loftus-Cheek would bring to this team and how he would be Fulham's best player and all of these different things have not kind of formulated themselves into truth yet. I don't think Josh Onoma would have done that much worse. I, the, the thing with Loftus-Cheek for me is, I just. In the, the, where he plays at the moment, it's slightly to the right. You know, it's not it's not central. He is slightly to the right, and he's, he's sort of caught in that sort of number ten area. It's sort of like that right half space sort of thing is where he operates, and he tries to work with Dekodova Reed. And that right flank is almost a bit bit composite. You know, there are different parts that aren't natural sort of fits. You know, Dekodova Reed is covering both positions in a way, and Loftus Cheek is also covering it when he's not there. And I just, I just don't like. Sometimes he can just drift out of the game, and he's just not involved. And I agree. You know, he does work tirelessly. You know, you, you do see that um, he, he does have a high work rate. He's not as visible, perhaps, as, as Lamina with his crunching tackles and and his, you know, his enthusiasm and, and whatever. But with, with Loftus, I just, I think it's, I think it's obviously it's, it's partly the player. It's his part, but I also think there's a positioning thing, and I just wonder. I always thought that he would be competing with with Frank for that number eight position. I felt like that was his best role. And unless Fulham play clearly with two eights, then it's, you know, it's a bit different, but they're not really doing that. You know, Frank Frank's role is sort of a bit fluid. He's, he's both forward and defensive. He covers a lot of ground in the middle. Harrison Reed on uh, last night, for example, was a lot deeper and slightly more to the left. Um, so it's almost like, I don't know, almost like a, a diagonal. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it from pitch level, so I haven't seen it from, from some of the tactical perspective. Um, but I always get the impression with Loftus-Cheek that he's, he is drifted out to the right a little bit where he probably doesn't want to be. And he's not, it's not a natural area for him. Um, and then when he does go as a move forward as almost that nine, which he did later in the second half, it's, you know, again, that's certainly not for me his, his, best, his best role. So... I think there's still trying to feel out where to get the best of him as much as, you know, he hasn't hit those heights that we all expect. Ultimately, we just need to accept that his best position probably is Zambo's position, but that just in the current state of things, unless he gets a terrible injury, is just not going to happen. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's really I sad also... To say, but I mean, I you could play both. I mean, considering yeah, this you, is what you, I was play, say. you could play Frank and, and Loftus-Cheek together. And I don't think he's that ones, different but... in terms of it wouldn't be that different to playing a Frank and Lamina, not in terms of work rate or the, you know, the way they play the game, but I, I don't think Lamina's a natural six either. You know, they're not, they're not two deep lying players. And, and I think what we've seen from Frank this season, he's been able to kind of do a lot of, of different things with Harrison Reed, but beside him, he probably plays a little bit more advanced with Mario Lamina beside him. He probably sits a little bit deeper and I wouldn't be surprised to see him and Loftus-Cheek at the base at some point, just to see if that works. There is, however, that kind of lingering fear and I remember him playing Loftus-Cheek at the bottom of a diamond. It's not quite the same, obviously, but for, for Palace in that in that time he was there. And in fact, of all the positions he played for Palace, that was probably the weakest. I thought he, you know, he was quite poor at the bottom. He was he was weirdly very good on the left, um, mm. where he was sort of cutting in from a, a wide midfield position, and he did okay on the right as well as uh, on the kind of on a flat four. But when you when he came into the bottom of a midfield, he struggled a little bit. So I'd be interested to see how that shakes out. And obviously we've seen him. Scott obviously seems to be a more forward-thinking player as, as a player who wants to affect things in the final third. But we haven't quite seen that yet either. So I'll be interested to see how it shakes out. Okay, right. We're going to take a quick break. And then afterwards, we've got some questions. 
This is an advertisement for BetterHelp, a portal for finding online therapy. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you read more Fulham transfer rumours? Well, whatever it is, one thing that many of us have in common is wishing that we had more time. And therapy can be a place to help you work through what matters to you so you can have more time to do it. Therapy is great for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the very best version of yourself. It's not just for those who experience major trauma. And if that's something you're looking for, that's where BetterHelp can come in. BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. They'll match you with a UK mental health professional with a wide variety of expertise. There's no referral needed and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, giving you complete control over the whole experience. And Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish. That's betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish to get 10% off your first month. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. So uh, some questions have come through. It's interesting, Peter, because ever since you started um, being part of the podcast, you haven't really done like a, a proper match reaction uh, podcast mm. where you know we do things like three word reviews and kind of instantly discuss the game. The, one of the other things we do is uh, is questions after after matches. So um, got a few for you guys here um, that have come through. Uh, I'm going to start with Felix, who says, "How bad is our table situation? With our current pace, we'll end up on 26 points. How should Fulham approach the coming games before New Year's?" Now I thought about this. If Fulham get a point a game between now and the end of the season, we end on 34 points. I believe, if I'm if my maths is correct, I'm almost certain. Now that nearly keeps you up, nearly, but is still a little bit risky. And you know, we're doing okay at the moment, Peter, but we do need to maybe up the kind of points per game that we're picking up. And obviously, last night was was two points dropped. You look at the table situation now; the table's starting to formulate a little bit more. We're just outside of the bottom three, although that could change if Burnley get anything against Aston Villa tonight Brighton have kind of been sucked in but then above that assuming Arsenal don't still continue to fall off a cliff um, it's not looking like too many other teams are going to get dragged into it because after that it's kind of the Newcastles of the world who are a good eight nine points ahead of us yeah I think well, the long and short of it I don't think yeah I think we need Fulham need to put more points on the board and they need to improve their, their points per game um, you always look at how the other teams around them are doing. I mean, last year was so slow. The teams at the bottom were just were not picking up points. But in the end, it did get up to that 35-point mark, which is still quite low, I think, by, by survival standards. But it's still a, a substantial substantial amount of points to, to accumulate. So when you think of that and the games that have still got to come, then you probably, yeah, you, you're going to need for them to start picking up results that... Um, we had that they haven't at the start of the season. Now, of course, the start of the season was poor, and we, we can we can quantify the season as a before and after that point, you know, or before and after the the, the transfer window closed, and um, and maybe we're looking at a slightly different picture in in that sense. Um, and then when you, I, I couldn't do the maths right now on the spot, but I think the points per game would probably be a little bit higher. Yeah, it's um, one. It's, we had one point from our first five games, yeah. and we've got eight from eight since. Yeah. Okay, so that's that's a much prettier picture in that sense, and, and that's more encouraging. Um, but at the same time, you know, you can't just write off what happened at the start of the, the season. And what will be important is that Fulham maintain that going into the new year, and then when during the second round of fixtures, um, when those games come back round again, you know, one point from five against those those opposition um, isn't going to be good enough, really, uh, realistically. You can't really rely on um, shock results against bigger teams, and um, you've got to have a, a mix of both. So. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, the short of it is they need more points on the board, but the, the signs are still quite encouraging. And even when they're not playing at their best, they're, they're picking up points like they did against uh, right. Five points from the last four against Leicester, City, Liverpool and Brighton is something you probably wouldn't sniff at. Um, no, if you'd have offered me that beforehand, I would have definitely... You would have bitten your hand off for that, yeah. right? That's two draws from Leicester City and Liverpool, if you imagine that you might have beaten Brighton, right? Yeah. And so you look at it like that and you think, okay, I think this game against Newcastle is huge. Because um, like you say, they're eight points clear of us currently. I still think, and I know this is, <laughs> I feel like I'm banging this drum, but I still think Newcastle get dragged into this. I, I really do. I don't think this squad is that good. I don't. I think Steve Bruce is, is doing a fine job there in terms of, I don't think mm. he is the... 
you know, antichrist that he's painted to be by some quarters. Uh, but I also don't think he's doing a particularly great job either. Um, and and I think the Newcastle can get dragged into this. I think their squad is probably no better than ours on paper, if I'm being perfectly honest. I think the additions of Wilson and Fraser on the final day are the reason that they are not currently in the bottom two, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's, it's as simple as that. And But it is one of those things where I think that a couple of, that result will have hurt them yesterday against Leeds, who would have you know gone against, uh, above them. I think that uh, a result, a loss to, to Fulham would, would really, really start to drag them in. And I, I, can, I can see them being reeled into this in the way that I think Arsenal will obviously eventually get themselves out. I don't think Arsenal are going to go on and finish in the Europa League spots, but I think they will get themselves out of the relegation mire. <laughs> Um, this is such a ridiculous conversation to be having, but it's it's, it's currently the case. Um, but it is one of those things that when you look at when you look at what Newcastle have, when you look at some of the performances, yes, they've ground out important results in games that perhaps they didn't well not deserve because obviously you, you kind of get get what you're given in in, in football. But, but in games pa- they didn't expect to game, win. exactly. They were they were on, under the cosh for most of it. They scored two goals right at the end. You know, great game management but you can't do that every week no exactly I, I still think that there is an element of this side that can be can be pulled in and I think that Fulham shouldn't go there on, on Saturday with, with any fear I think this is, this is a game that Fulham can win and you look at those kind of things then you think look at Newcastle's points per game for example and you think oh they must be so much better than we are but I actually don't on paper think they are and I think that despite a poor start to the season we can start to claw this back um, I mean Peter your thoughts uh, looking at some other relegation rivals on the uh, the Billich Allardyce swap which was mm. confirmed yesterday I mean to go get a point at Man City then get sacked for Sam Allardyce um, after only being there one season and winning automatic promotion I mean we'd be livid if if the same had happened uh, at Fulham but look at Allardyce's record he doesn't get relegated does he? Yeah, they've got clearly got quite nervous about the the situation, and I I think maybe you do look at the points um, difference between the bottom set of teams and then the Newcastle's because I, I agree with Jack. I think one of those teams could you know will hit a rough rough spell and and fall into it. I would be surprised if they didn't. And Newcastle are probably prime contenders because of their sort of on the edge of a powder keg existence uh, for most of the time. Um, but yeah, in terms of West Brom, that's given them a whole new dynamic, hasn't it? Um, Big Sam's good at what he does. You know exactly what he's going to bring to his teams. He'll get them well drilled. Um, whether they have the quality in their squads, I don't know. And I think if you compare the, the summer business between Fulham and West Brom, um, you know, Fulham's was leagues ahead, leagues ahead of, 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 of what, um, compared to what West Brom were able to do. Um, with relatively similar budgets as well, you know, I mean, maybe Fulham spent a little bit more if you factor in knockout um, as well um, but you know in terms of the quality now in the, in the two teams you, where I think West Brom's big issue was goals and they brought in Carl and Grant but he's got to adapt to the Premier League it's a it's you know they for me they they don't seem to have the personnel to do it um, and it'll be interesting to see how big Sam sort of lifts them I, I do feel a bit for Slavin Bilic obviously you know to get a result against City is one thing and also to have brought, taken the team up the circumstances of the summer of everything, you know, it's, it's brutal. And I guess that's why we've not really seen any changes this year. I think there's only been uh, two, uh, a couple of managerial changes. It's the first managerial change in the Premier League. Yeah, Stuart yeah, McCall lost his job in uh, Bradford City and Lucian Favre at Dortmund. Yeah, so it's, is that you know, it? this is... Well, it's the ones I can think of of the last three, of the last week. Wow. But either either way, it's definitely down on, on previous years. That's that's pretty clear. And I think there's sort of a, a tacit understanding about that. But you know, when there's so much money on running um on the line with Premier League survival, especially now, of course, and you you know, it flips both ways, doesn't it? So you can see why they've made that call. But it does change West Brom as a as a as a force. And I'm sure they'll get a bounce, they'll get some kind of lift as, as most teams do. But whether they have the, the the quality to get over the line, I'm not sure. But if you then look at Burnley. You know, I mean, Burnley's squad, again, hasn't been strengthened recently. You know, there's always been those murmurings about a takeover and Sean Dyche's relative seemingly unhappiness at not being able to invest in his team in the way he probably wants. Um, then you think, OK, well, maybe this will be tighter for them this year. But they they do have a way of picking up results and their fixtures coming up a kind. They've obviously got those games in hand. I think one's against United, so wouldn't rest too much on, on that. Burnley. They'll win again, that. That is, that is United. <laughs> um, so I think Burnley, Burnley probably in the next few weeks could pick up some, some points. So 
again, that comes back to the Newcastle game for Fulham and it's, you know, it's, it's one you don't really want to lose because when you get Newcastle pulling away, you probably will see Burnley picking up some points. Um, Brighton have a couple of simpler fixtures. Just let me check that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, yeah they have a couple of kind of fixtures coming up and, you know, Arsenal will, will pull themselves away. I mean, it'd be so much fun and I'd absolutely love it if they were in a relegation fight. I think it's what we need after all the project big picture stuff and this nonsense about big clubs and everything else. It's, it'd, be, it'd be quite cathartic, at least for me anyway. Um, but I think they will pull away. So, you know, I, you know, you look at West Brom, West Brom probably needed to make that change then, you know, when you, when you put it in that, in those terms, Fulham improving, Burnley, decent fixtures coming up, Brighton with some good fixtures as well and not playing poorly. You're looking at a bigger gap growing at some point, um, but you do fear for Sheffield United. <laughs> you can see why West Brom went to Allardyce and, you know, that never been relegated record is, is impressive. And whatever you think about Big Sam's football and, and personally, I'm not a huge fan of, of, of watching it, but it, it gets results and it gets the job done. And and he's he's proved that time and time again. And, and I don't think it would be fair to knock it just because of of certain stylistic issues. You know, I, it wouldn't be my football of choice, but when you're a, an owner trying to, to keep your club in the Premier League and given all the financial benefits that confers, you can see why people do it. Mm. This is going to be an interesting one because he's obviously been out of the game for a little while. Um, this is probably, I would say, one of the bigger challenges he's taken on. Uh, and Jermaine Jean has made a really good point yesterday at the end of the Fulham game on, on Prime. And he said, the way that Sam comes in normally is he organises the defence and he stops sides conceding loads of goals and and then kind of relies on that as the, the basis to which he inches towards survival. But West Ham have... West Brom haven't got that problem. West Brom haven't been conceding bucket loads of goals out of, out of nowhere. And what they've been failing to do, as Peter pointed out, was score. And he's suddenly not going to have the artillery available to, to change that situation. And JJ made the point that it's one of those things that he you look at it and you think, OK, where do West Brom need to improve? Is that they need to invest in January and they need to develop some tack, you know, attacking patterns of play that create chances because at the moment they're really struggling. And even the chances they create against City, I know it's City, so pinch of salt and all these things, but the chances you create tend to be through opposition mistakes rather than through patterns, through things that you, you see that build up in the final third. And I don't know if Sam is the man to bring to come in there and, and sort that out. So I'll be interested to see how that shakes out. But it does mean that they're going to be hard to beat. It does mean that they're going to be organised. It does mean they're going to be disciplined. And everyone uses those terms and, you know, they're kind of cliched at this point, but they do matter at, at, at some level in terms of not conceding loads of goals, trying to stifle teams and, and, and hit them on the counter. And we're seeing that more and more with reactive sides at the bottom. I, I think Fulham... In, in kind of response, need to work out our own style issues, work out those kinks that we're seeing in the in the system at the moment, and just get more shots away. This is my my huge bugbear with, with football. The more you know, the more possession you have, and the more shots on target you have, which are, are correlated, the, the more games you win, the more goals yeah. you score, and it's as simple as that. And what we saw, I think, for the first two games, which was really, really ha made me happy against Leicester and against Liverpool in the first half, was how much Fulham were willing to shoot. You know, not all those shots are going in, of course, and people get frustrated with the misses from Cav and, and the like, but actually getting shots on target, getting shots away, getting into positions to shoot, and then actually hit, you know, putting the trigger is important because I think that's what we saw a regression in last year you know Fulham not willing to hit the target not willing to actually have a go and it was frustrating at times and I think that if we are to survive and we are to kick on it's not going to be yes the the, the defence is massive and, and keeping clean sheets and having a settled back four and all of these different elements are, are huge but you win games by scoring goals and I think that we are going to need to to push in that direction if we're to jump out of this. It's not going to be done through scraping nil-nil draws at home. It's going to be done by beating teams, home and away. And, and to do that, we need to just be able to shift our game plan ever so slightly. And, and I think that might be what does for Big Sam this time is that his game plan in an ever-shifting world is potentially a little bit rigid for for this system well this brings me on to my next question uh, I'll put this one to you Peter for, from Alan Rustad he said here's one 
It's important to beat teams around you, but do you also think it's as, as important not to lose? At least maintaining the status quo leaves much less of a mountain to climb. Now, much was made yesterday of this massive stat that Fulham have got of 3,000 days since we kept a nil-nil draw in the league at Craven Cottage. And, you know, rest in peace. It's a, it's a great statistic. We can just but... continue this, I've decided. Um, what, but just fans? say in front of fans. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not ready to give up on this statistic just yet, I don't think. But... There has been an element of Fulham where just like defence, I feel like hasn't been prioritised, Peter, for so long. And and most of this record comes under the time of the Khans. So the Khans have been mm. at Fulham just over seven years and this record was in place for about nine. So much of this has come under the Khans. And I feel like this is the first season in a long time where the Khans have prioritised defensive spending over attacking spending. And... Also, I feel like there's been a mentality of win or bust in so many games with Fulham. But actually, you know, we remember the Roy Hodgson times and nil-nil draws were the bedrock of Roy Hodgson. Yes, they tended to be away from home rather than at home, but still, it was better not to lose. And, and Fulham really have, you know, built some real resilience about themselves now. Do you think that maybe it's a change of mentality in, in the way that Park has brought it, the whole club, that, you know, we're not, and we're no longer this absolute madhouse of a team that, we'll lose 3-2 or we'll try and win 5-4. Nil-nils are fine. They're not entertaining for anyone, but they are just okay and, and probably will be the bedrock of us staying up. It's that sort of playoff final winning, you know, mentality. Almost it's a win or, it is win or bust, isn't it? And I was going to say, I mean, that it's, it's revealing that it's in the last nine years. And I think when you look at Fulham's performances in both the Premier League and, and the Championship and the movement between the two, you know, there's probably a correlation there a little bit. Um, and as you say, I mean, you, you guys would be better placed than me to, to talk about what Fulham were like under Roy Hodgson. Um, but, you know, we can see that with his Palace teams and, you know, they're absolutely vital. If you don't win, you don't lose. Um, you can't afford to lose. And, and those points add up at the end of the season. Uh, and if you, you don't have that ability, that ability that we can't, we did really see that last night, you know, that Fulham didn't look like they were going to win. If they were going to win, they were going to nick it. Um, but if, if they're not going to win, then you've got to hold on. You've got to weather the bad period. You've got to keep it tight and um, come through Come through with a point. Um, and I guess it perhaps does reflect a, a change of mentality. I think Park has been eager to sort of instill that, um, that, that sort of grit and that resilience. He, he calls them the staples of the team. And I think he'd rather not talk about it because he wants them to be just absolute norms going into every game, um, which is quite Hodgson-like in a way. Um, while then trying to make sure you score goals and, and where, where Fulham are lucky and as opposed to say West Brom is that they've got that quality in, in the final third in terms of Adam Ola-Lukman and, uh, and Mitrovic when he plays um, so and, and Bobby Reid chipping in with goals as well so that, that, that's normally quite decisive but then when that's not happening you pick up a point you pick up points I mean that's been Burnley's motto for the last few years and it's, it's done them very very well it does do them very very um, well yeah you're right and, and eff effectively they will pick up wins in games like yesterday because they'll score one in the 85th minute because there'll be a moment of quality etc uh, one final question Jack this one's from Jamie Faulkner it's not long until January 13 days 14 days positions needed in the January transfer window he asks uh, I bring in Divock Origi this is about my big thing Okay, I think Divock Origi would just be like an Ivan Cavallero, but better and okay. like more able to finish. And I think that his time at Liverpool is running out. I think we want if you're going to use this system that Scott seems to favour against big opposition. I'm not saying it's right, as you've said, against everyone. Um, but I do think we could do with a pacey striker, um, so that we can mix things up. We can go, you know, four four two if we need to. We we can switch those different elements up, and and I think that. Divock Origi would be perfect. This is, uh, you know, I've, I've come to Matt's this conclusion. Matt's think he's only 25. You think he's like in his 30s, he's been around for so He's only 25? Long. Yeah, really? he's only 25. Wow. Um, I just think he would be the kind of re a really good foil. Would Liverpool let him go? Fulham's yeah, I think right. they would. I think they would. Uh, he, he's, seen, he's dropped down the pecking order there. We've, we've seen him feature less and less. Jurgen Klopp was even nice enough to give him a run out on his new home so he could get used to the grass. Um, yeah, I think all elements of this work out and um, I think he would be like a really, really clever addition for Fulham. Peter, any ideas of who Fulham might look to bring in in, in the January transfer window? I assume we haven't quite got onto those questions yet with Parker, but I imagine they can't be far away in press conferences. Not yet, but yeah, as you say, they won't be too far away. I think for Fulham, the priority will be those leaving as opposed to coming in. 
um, because of the size of the squad. Um, there are players who aren't even in the squad at the moment who will be wanting minutes. Uh, and you've got to try and balance the, the squad in a way that's you know, less bloated, I think. Um, but I agree with Jack in terms of position, at least. You know, I think having a, a more recognised forward, I think Cavalero has improved in that area. He, seems, he does seem to be growing in confidence when he plays. That's my, my view of how I see him. Um, but is he going to get the goals that Fulham need to, 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 to stay up and, and be that alternative? That's you know, yet to be decided, I think. So um, for sure, someone like Origi or, or you know, another alternative option to, to, to meet to Mitrovic would, would be good because it seems that Mitrovic isn't that uh, immovable force in the team anymore. Um, and what that means for Mitrovic, we'll have to see as well because I don't think he'll want to be um, a plan B at all. Okay, right, we'll take another quick break and then afterwards, a final look at Saturday's game against Newcastle. It's the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Jack Collins and Peter Rutzler. If you're looking for an opposition view uh, ahead of Newcastle, uh, Don will be doing a video with the lads from Gallagher Shots, uh, which will be up on the Fulhamish YouTube channel uh, probably by the time that this podcast is out. So do subscribe to Fulhamish on YouTube if you'd like to get an opposition view uh, on, on all things Newcastle. Also check out the full time from from last night as well if you want more reaction to, if you want more people talking about a nil-nil draw against Brighton. If that's exactly what you need, then head over to the YouTube channel. Right, uh, Peter and Jack, one final look then at Saturday's game against Newcastle. We talked about, you know, this position that Newcastle have got on the table and that it, it feels like quite a, a pivotal moment maybe in the season for both sides. Newcastle win, you imagine they might just have enough points to have a buffer zone between ourselves and the bottom three and it kind of puts Fulham back in it. A win for Fulham though really puts the cat amongst the pigeons. Really, really puts the cat amongst the pigeons and it's, it's pretty important given the two games that are coming up over Christmas. Normally, You'd look at Southampton at home and think winnable fixture, but not Southampton this season. That's a pretty difficult fixture. And then we all know how difficult going to Spurs uh, on December the 30th. And it's just dawned on me as well that I was so excited to go watch Fulham's first game at Spurs. I was really, really excited. And of course, it will almost certainly be behind closed doors. And even if it wasn't, it wouldn't be Fulham fans going anyway. So uh, I guess we'll have to wait for that one for, for another year. Um, Jack... Do you think we're likely to see Scott make the changes? I know that I know that you think he should, but do you think he will, you know, have a bit more bottle than he did against Brighton and, and change the system? Um, I'd, I'd be interested now just to see how this one pans out because it, weirdly, the system that he played yesterday is probably slightly more better suited for an away game at Newcastle. Uh, I do hope that Mitrovic comes in I have a funny feeling that he might bag at the Gallagate, um, and, and that would love be useful. You, you would things you would love to see Alexander <laughs> Mitrovic bagging at the Gallagate end, and then lifting up a top that says "Steve McLaren, you what?" Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd be I'd be keen to see that, not just from a Fulham perspective, but also just for you know the crack. Um, but it, yeah, it, it, I hope the Mitrovic starts. I hope that we can see a little bit of Tom Kearney, um, but I think that. This actually, if he doesn't change the system to start with against Newcastle, I wouldn't be wildly surprised. I think that these games at home that you're looking to, to dominate and win are the games that you need to have a Mitrovic Kearney from the very outset to, to completely switch the style up. I'd be, I'd be shocked if he changes it completely for, for this game. I think there might be personnel changes, but I don't think Scott will actually completely shift his his motion now, especially given, like we say, five points in the last four games. Mm. He's going to, I'd imagine, look at this and think, yeah, we'll carry on like this until something goes drastically wrong and nothing has gone drastically wrong yet, even if yesterday is a toss-up between a point gained and two points dropped. Mm. What, what I would say is that I think if you, if Parker's of the opinion that you don't want to drop players who are playing well, then... Brighton offers him a chance to make those changes more and easy, and makes it easier to sell them. Uh, not that I think he'd have an issue selling any, any of his changes to, to his squad, but, you know, in terms of how the team played, in terms of how they play going forward, um, you know, the, the defensive side, I think, I think we're pretty clear that the defence is pretty settled now. Um, at least the, the, the four of the five and, and Bobby Reid as, as, as well. But I think, you know, if you're going to, if, you, if there was a thought of making that change for Brighton, there's definitely a stronger hand now for him to say, okay, I'm going to bring this player in because we didn't do this well enough. Uh, we weren't creative enough. And, and I think that may open the door for a Kearney um, or a Mitrovic as well. And 
Uh, I think it's sort of set for Mitrovic to come back and, and, and score at Newcastle after his little period on the sidelines. So let's hope for that uh, at the very least. I, I would really enjoy that. And of course, you know, it's a busy time of, of fixtures coming up. We haven't really had midweek football since the start of the season. And even then it was in the cup because uh, and we were playing second string sides anyway. So it didn't massively um, matter. But we've got had a midweek this week. It's interesting the way that Christmas falls, that Boxing Day is on a Saturday. So it actually is still a week's break between Newcastle and Southampton. Mm. But then only a few days later, you have Spurs Actually, the Christmas schedule has been quite kind to Fulham, hasn't it? When you look at it, there are some clubs who have had a much shorter turnaround. I think maybe Chelsea, they have 44 hours between games. I think Fulham maybe have the longest Yeah, period. 72 hours. Us and Liverpool. But still, you know, we did look a bit jaded yesterday and, and, and it would be nice to see a few people not getting a rest. But, you know, Scott, Scott's got a manager, hasn't he? Yeah, Fulham sort of owed it from the short pre-season anyway. They sort of owed some a, a decent... A, fi- a festive fixture schedule. I think last year was really tough on the teams. I think most teams had about 48 hours and that's that's ridiculous, really. You, you do pick up injuries and you're not really assessing performances. You're just assessing how how good their squads are at coping with it. Um, I think for the... the, the I think less, less Newcastle, I, I think there's, you know, I mean, it is a tightish turnaround and then you've got that week. But it'll be the period after that, Southampton, Spurs and Burnley, where we'll probably see more more rotation and I'm sure we'll see a few players get get some minutes that they probably probably haven't haven't seen for a while, um, but it is certainly a kind of a kind of period, definitely from 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 recent seasons in any case. And uh, I guess that bodes well for for, for Fulham. And uh, I guess the the only flip side would be that you're not you're not taking advantage of some of the bigger teams. Although you know Tottenham, you know the the amount of games that they've played, generally using very similar players, um, that's that fixture sort of comes at a decent enough time. Um, ideally, you'd probably want to be playing some of the bigger teams over over Christmas, where they are stretched and they're facing that sort of Europe post European burnout. So, good thing is Fulham have got one uh, one of those teams. Um, and, and yeah, I was maybe dis- they can take advantage. I, of that. I was disappointed, obviously, to to lose to the Bees uh, in, in the League Cup, but now thinking I'm quite relieved that, that there isn't a League Cup quarter final uh, next week in midweek so maybe a blessing in disguise although that was a, a not a lovely night for, for any Fulham fan concerned <laughs> no it wasn't great but at the end of the day it is what it is and you'd chuck the uh, you'd chuck the game against Rangers in the FA Cup 3-0 as well if it kept if it kept us up at the end of the season wouldn't you yeah exactly right well that is all for the Fulhamish podcast today we'll see what happens on Saturday certainly uh, it's going to be an interesting one and a, and a, and a big game it's an 8pm kickoff unless I'm, uh, I'm mistaken so um, Jack what are we going to name the podcast today yeah we'll go with tier 3 tedium because it did feel that way and there is an, an, an argument to suggest that with fans there last night things go a little bit differently yeah and we hope that that ruling will change although it's uh, not looking pretty at the moment so um, have a good rest of your week we'll see what happens against Newcastle on Saturday and the pod will return Peter Rutzler thank you very much for, for joining and uh, great piece by the way on uh, Anthony Robinson available on The Athletic today isn't there lovely yes thanks Sammy yeah thanks for having me uh, athletic.com slash Fulham at pod if you want to read that and Jack Collins thank you very much thank you Sammy it's been lovely to be back in the studio oh hasn't it been wonderful uh, thank you for listening have a good weekend come on you whites you whites